In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. In the fall of 1997, I started graduate school in clinical psychology, and my first internship was in a behavioral preschool. As it happens, it uh, was in the same building that I'm working in uh, today, 26 years later. The preschool was a behavioral preschool for children that had been abused and neglected, had been removed from their homes, and were having serious uh, behavioral problems as a result, uh, emotional problems. And the basic uh, technique that was used was um, rewards and consequences. Reward good behavior, have negative consequences for bad behavior, kind of a classical behavioral model. And uh, just to summarize for you, it didn't work. It didn't work. Adding more consequences to negative behavior does not produce positive behavior. Amazingly enough, when you see people get out of prison, punished for their bad behavior, they're not good people when they come out. It doesn't work. And the question before us is, what does work? Because this is, for all intents and purposes, a behavioral preschool. We're here to learn how to be servants of the Most High God, to give up our selfishness and our self-centeredness, and to learn how to live for God and for our neighbor. And the really radical part about the church is that while we're here to be healed, while we're here to be transformed, we are honored with the job of helping others in this same role, that we are here to be teachers and healers for others who are here to be transformed. So that's the radical thing about the church. While we're here to be transformed, to be renewed, to be uh, saved, to be sanctified, we are supposed to participate in the sanctification of others, to be encouraging and to be teaching and all of those things. And that's the really radical nature of the church. It's enough so that uh, we fail in this uh, and the uh, world criticizes us for those failures. They call us uh, stupid, they call us failures, they call us hypocrites because we talk about righteousness and we struggle to live it. Um, but that is the nature of this hospital. We are patients and doctors both. And this is the invitation that God makes um, all the way back in um, the Exodus. Here in Exodus uh, chapter 22, you see the Lord um, teaching the people on Mount Sinai how it is they're supposed to live. But you may be reminded that when they're here, they are themselves uh, poor and needy. They are exiles. They have just been freed of slavery and brought out of Egypt. They are still wandering um, in of the Sinai Peninsula. In fact, they're on Mount Sinai as refugees themselves. And as they are refugees and as they are orphans and as they are surrounded by their enemies, the Lord teaches them how they are supposed to care for refugees and how they are supposed to care for their enemies. The Lord does this in a way of um, welcoming them into his family, of welcoming, welcoming the people of God, the nation of Israel, into his fellowship of family. And he teaches them how his family lives and how his family thinks and what his family does. And God's family looks out for those who cannot care for themselves. Um, that is what uh, love is, to care for those people who have no way of returning the favor. And I don't want to say that this is the most important kind of love or it's the 
the best kind of love, but let me just say it's really the only kind and the best kind of love, right? I don't really know any other way of saying it. Because if we love and we do things for people that can return the favor, what is it, right? If we do nice things for the rich and for the successful, and if we do nice things for um, our family and friends who can return the favor, then we're no different than anybody else. This is what the whole world does. Right? The greatest sinners, we have lots of examples of honor among thieves and them doing favors for each other. So what would separate us? What separates us is to care for and to love those who have no hope of return. And so he has several um, key groups that the Lord um, identifies here in Exodus chapter 22. First, the sojourner, the immigrant, the person who has no hope of um, refuge under the law. Right, the, the law of the land, the protections offered to a citizen of a kingdom are not offered to the sojourner, to the immigrants. And the Lord is saying, these are people who have nobody to protect them. You are called to love and to provide for them. The widow, again, has no hope. She has no um, protection from her husband. She doesn't have any of the, the covering, whether it be of um, influence or whether it be of prestige or whether it be of money or provision. She doesn't have protection. She is vulnerable. And the Lord says, you are to protect her and watch out for her. The fatherless child, in the same way, has no one to protect him, has no one to provide for him, uh, to look out for him. And we are supposed to be focused upon the fatherless child and to care for him. And finally, the poor. And in our care for the poor, we are forbidden from taking advantage of them with high interest rates of trying to earn money or to make a living out of their destitution and their difficulty. It's forbidden from the people of God to take advantage of the poor in any way. And so the Lord shows us that his love is about being focused on those who have no hope of returning. And this is the nature of God's love for us. We have no way to return his love for us. We have no way to offer to him anything in return because everything came from him. All that we have, our lives and our jobs and our money and our homes and our family, everything, every breath we take is a gift from God and we have no way to return that favor to him. But what we're called to do rather than returning a favor or repaying is to identify his, his compassion. He says at the end of this passage, uh, Exodus 22, verse 27, with this phrase, I am compassionate. And we are supposed to be compassionate with him. This compassion or this self-giving, this sacrificial love is at the heart of all the commandments. And this is what Jesus um, summarizes in Matthew chapter 22 um, at the end of this um, conversation that he's been having with the Herodians and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and with the lawyers and the scribes and all those who come to him during Holy Week between his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and his crucifixion, his arrest Thursday night. For these several days, Jesus is habitually in the temple and he is arguing and they have uh, run out at this point of anything to say. Their final question to him is, which is the greatest commandment? And he says, to love God, and to love our neighbor. This love is not a puppy love. It's not a familial love. It's not a family love. It's not a love that we have 
for those people that we're familiar with, um, that we're intimate with. This is a sacrificial, self-giving love where we pour out ourselves for the object of our love. And we read that the first place that we're supposed to offer this love is to God himself. And this is the first five commandments. You remember the first five commandments are to, to love only the Lord, to have no other gods before him, to not sacrifice to idols, to keep the Sabbath day, which is our day to focus upon the Lord, to read his word, and to reflect in thanksgiving upon what he's given us, and then to honor our father and our mother, right? That fifth commandment that we give in honor to our father and mother is a way in which we honor God. We represent and we recognize his authority as our father in heaven by the way that we treat our earthly parents. So when we talk about them or we talk to them, we are um, giving an example, we are practicing our love for God. Indeed, the way that we show them respect is the way um, that we show respect to the Father. Whether they deserve it or not, many times they don't. I know I often don't. But it's a discipline for us to love God sacrificially. The next five commandments are those that are directed towards our neighbor. And uh, some people like to say that there's a God of the Old Testament, and a God of the New Testament, and the God of the Old Testament is harsh, and that Jesus is kind. Um, those people have never read the scriptures. They've never read what Jesus says about murder. He says, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. But he says, I tell you, don't call your brother a fool. We can't even call names under Jesus's law. When we do that, we take away their dignity and pride. We take away their dignity as human beings, and we've committed murder in our hearts. He says, we're not supposed to look upon another person with lust. So it's not even about adultery. It's about the way that we look at other people. It's the way that we think about them that counts in the law of Christ. Right? And so we're supposed to be careful about the thoughts of our hearts and, and the way in which we look at other people um, because there is no way to love while being critical and being cruel in our hearts and in our minds. And so he says that we're supposed to um, test that and we're supposed to watch um, the way that we think of them. And so we, we show this love for our neighbors and, and then the Lord stops there and he seems to do this radical kind of right-hand turn by asking them in response now to this question. Um, he says, um, how is it that David calls the Messiah Lord? Because now Jesus has brought it back. He's finally done with their questions and he's going to ask them a question. And the central question that he asks them is who is Jesus? That is the central question of the Gospels. It's the central question of Scripture. Who is Jesus? And so he says, how is it that David says that the Messiah is his Lord? Because the Messiah is the, the one who comes after David, right? He is his heir. He's his child. And so how could David call his child, his grandson, Lord? The only way that that makes sense is when we recognize that Jesus is God that he is God himself, and this is this radical, this radical change in their understanding of who the Messiah is, that he is God himself, and now Jesus is saying that you're supposed to love me the way that you love the Father and that I show the Father to you. And we're being invited into that love of the Holy Trinity, and he, he gives us this glimpse into the life of the Holy Trinity from Psalm 110. He quotes 110 there, and he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. This is the father talking to the son, and he is saying, I'm going to, um, after your suffering, after your sacrifice, I'm going to make all things good. And this is the life of the Holy Trinity, as the father continually in eternity loves the son, and the son loves the Holy Spirit, 
They are constantly giving of themselves in humility and self-sacrifice to one another. And this is the picture of the Holy Trinity that the Lord paints that we are being invited into, that we're being invited into this fellowship of self-sacrificial love through the power of the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. So how do we do that? How do we enter into that? How do we practice that? It's shown to us in a really radical way by St. Paul in his letter to the Thessalonians, just in that he's writing to the Thessalonians at all. What does he have to do with them? He's a Jew from Judea. Why would he have any um, truck with um, these Gentiles, these people in Greece? Um, what does he have in common with them? What, what, what does he have um, to be beholden to them? It's the love of God that compels him, right? He says that we had suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, and then we came to you, right? And he says... We don't speak to please you, but we speak to please God. And so this is the first way in which we show love to our neighbors. We stop and we think, wait a minute, um, how am I supposed to think of my neighbor? And when we think about um, God's love for our neighbor, we realize that our worst enemy, the person um, who we despise the most, um, the Lord died for them too. That's an important thing to remind ourselves. We start getting really angry at our enemies and really angry at those who oppose us and really angry at those who threaten our lives to remember that the Lord died for them, that he loves them, and that we're supposed to be gentle towards them as a nursing mother. The nursing mother is this beautiful picture of sacrificial love that the Lord paints. Right? The nursing mother um, has to completely give of herself. Everything else that she had planned, everything else that she thought she was going to do, um, and her life stops, comes to a grinding halt when the child needs to nurse, right? She is in that moment totally given over to the needs of another. And she has to wait and sacrifice and she has to love and, and be patient in that time um, because the more relaxed and the more patient and loving she is, the better the breastfeeding goes, right? The, the better the love for the child is, is, is found and the calmer she is and the calmer the child becomes. And this is a, a fantastic, a fantastically difficult and such a beautiful picture of uh, the Lord's love for us and of our call uh, to love others, right? To be that nursing mother, to, to calm ourselves, to be focused upon the other, to see how is it that I can care for them? How is it that I can love them? How is it that I can nurture them and bring them in to the love of God? He says that, um, that they are gentle, and he says that the Thessalonians have become very dear to him. Very dear. And that's what works. Rewards and consequences don't work. Not in a radical, fundamental change way. There's rewards and consequences for everything in life. Right? Natural rewards, natural consequences... If you smile and you're nice to people, they'll be smile and be nice back. If you're rude and mean, they'll be rude and nasty back. Those are natural rewards and consequences that will always be there. But the way that hearts are changed, the way that lives are changed, the way that people are changed, the way that we're called to change and be changed in this church only happens with that self-giving love, that sacrificial love of the nursing mother. No matter what the child's attitude, no matter what the child's behavior, that we start with love towards them. That's what works. That we start with ourselves 
and offering love, the same love that God has shown to us, and that we be willing to offer it even to our enemies. May we love and be loved by our Heavenly Father this day and forevermore.